Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Buck, do you remember me? Your mom's name is Sarah. You used to wear newspapers in your shoes. You're a wanted man. I don't do that anymore. Well, the people who think you did are coming right now. They're not planning on taking you alive. You seem a little defensive. Well, it's been a long day. If we can't accept limitations, we're no better than bad guys. That's not the way I see it. 
Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. Next Real Film Board, everybody. A gang of thugs has once again gathered to take on a film currently in cinemas. This month, oh my goodness, I'm very excited about this movie. Captain America Civil War from the Russo Brothers. Ooh. Quit stepping on my lines, JJ. This <laughs> week, we welcome our League of Thugs. The super smart one, as always, Steve Sarmento. SMRT. I am so smart. <laughs> <laughs> The super strong one, Thomas W. Handsome. Hello, friends. Pleasure to be here. And the super accurate one, Andy Nelson. Got my bow and arrow ready. And the annoying and self-righteous vigilante himself, the comic book know-it-all, Justin J.J. Yeager. <laughs> Just because you have power doesn't mean you're supposed to use it like that, Pete. When you edit the shows, uh, JJ, you can start taking action yourself there. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm going to do my very best to hold on to the reins of this show. At this point, we're targeting to bring it in right about as long as the movie was itself. So uh, <laughs> so hang on, and, and let's uh, go ahead and get started. First of all, uh, this film it really continues the story of Captain America the Winter Soldier. It really felt very much like a continuation of the story, like it never ended the Winter Soldier. And here we are uh, picking up with uh, Cap and Winter Soldier and all of his buddies uh, and uh, and and you would not be uh, uh, frowned upon if you were to mistake this uh, as another Avengers movie one might say let's go ahead and go around the table for initial thoughts uh, Steve why don't you kick us off this movie's about words there were a lot of words in this movie I really enjoyed the themes that they brought together there was for a film that's jam-packed with so many characters to be able to get some a good amount of story that I felt had some substance. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. We've started to see a lot of these post plot films and I felt like this really had some meat to it. So I'm really looking forward to delving into all the parts of this film with you guys. Tommy, what'd you think? Well, you know me um, and, (laughs) and superhero movies, but surprisingly I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. This is by far one of my favorite Marvel movies, if not my favorite Marvel movie that cool. I've seen so far. So wow. I was, I really, really enjoyed it. That is epic news coming up. <laughs> right? Me. Andy? I really enjoyed it too. I had fun with it. Um, I didn't love it. I was kind of hoping I would love it. I, I walked out going, oh, okay. I, I thought they did a good job with that. All right, JJ, tell them why they're wrong. I actually kind of agree with Andy. My thing is I thought the story was pretty thin. I thought, I thought there wasn't much to the story. I thought it was kind of hitting on some of the themes that were kind of getting tired of in comic book literature. Can we call it comic book literature now? Comic book uh, art? I don't know. It's just we keep hitting on these same themes and that really bothered me. It didn't find it didn't find a story depth to me that I needed. That being said, I thought the action was awesome. I I really the way they executed this film was great and I found myself excited by the action scenes. I found myself thinking that they were special and so if you kind of want to put it in a little comic book box, it was like a great comic book for the action power super special stuff but the story was kind of weak i felt a lot of, like it like it was about like specter when we saw specter where all the action stuff was great and then we got to the story and it was weak so i really liked the movie in that respect i was happy with it but i felt a lot like andy walking out of it it yeah, that 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 did it that worked that was it and now i'm ready for the next one i guess 
I don't know. <laughs> We've talked about my comic book fanboy NUI about what's going on. We uh, about what's going on here in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think we'll get into that a little bit more in depth uh, as we talk tonight. You know, I actually really enjoyed the film. I I found that it was uh, it was trying to to me. It felt very much like it was just the the other side of the Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice uh, argument that we can tell a story about consequences in a way that is fun and light and engaging and full of at least some degree of hope. And I think they did it in color in this film, and I enjoyed the vibrance of it and the approach to it and some of the some of the, the sort of uh, tricks that they played on us. I, I enjoyed they didn't feel like Joss Whedon-level caliber sort of script tricks uh, or, or scene tricks that I enjoy so much about in the, about the the Avengers films but I deeply enjoy the action and I really enjoy the chases and the fights and these things in this film for me worked very well and uh, frankly uh, the introduction of Black Panther could not have come too soon for me and I love love that character cannot wait for him to get his own film. So did this change your opinion about Batman v Superman then? No, no, I just like this better. See? Yes, I Well, agree. that doesn't mean I like the Batman, uh, B, what, what I'm supposed to call it, uh, BVS Doge. <laughs> BVS Doge. <laughs> uh, I, it doesn't mean I like that any less. I'm the okay. one who liked it. I'm I'm the outlier. I, I enjoyed it. But this one, I feel like, and I knew, I knew going in I was going to like this more. I just, I, I'm, and I hate that I'm programmed that way because I really don't want this to be a Marvel versus DC approach thing because I think they both can make great movies. They really, I, I think they are capable of it. I just, uh, this one has more sort of resonance and history for me that, and I have greater affinity for the characters. And they did it better. I mean, you can go ahead and say it. I mean, honestly, they do a better job of making comic book movies here. What is well, what is better? It's not necessarily an approach question. I mean, well, I, sure, it's an approach question. Well, that's part of it. But the key thing too is, if we look at it, I mean, we need to be objective about both films. And I, I, I may bring this up for you guys that liked it again later on because I really think Batman v Superman is going to rot. As we keep talking about this going forward for you guys. Because I think, yes, we wanted to make apologies for that movie. And we wanted to think, well, they can do this with both these heroes. But they did it terribly. And this movie reminded me of how much better it can be. So anyway, I just I wanted to check with you because you mentioned it in your initial thoughts that you thought this was better than Batman v Superman. I did. It's my fault. I brought it up. I'll I'll stand by it. Let's start uh, talking a little bit about first of all the script. Stephen McFeely, Christopher Marcus wrote the script. Up uh, JJ. First of all, okay, can you uh, introduce us to uh, the the comic book uh, Civil War? And uh, because I for those who haven't read it. Well, so now I don't know a whole lot about the actual fight between Iron Man and Captain America in the Civil War book, but I am aware of the distinction between the factions of the Avengers in the books, and it feels like they're kind of setting that up, whether or not they're going to go that direction. I'm completely, I guess, unaware at this point, but they really are kind of setting the table for what at one point was the West Coast Avengers, which seems super odd, but that's uh, Iron Man, Vision, Wanda, Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye, which seems a little contrary to the lines that are being drawn here. But um, but you think about kind of where they end up at the end of the film, that's kind of setting that up as well. Um, I don't know the origin about how they split when they originally did it, but this seems like a dramatic way to kind of 
take that next step into phase three, I guess, of of the Avengers, if we consider the Avengers kind of the bellwether for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, so what did you think about how Marcus and McFeely uh, actually made the transition to screen? Well, I'm 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 comfortable with what they're doing in terms of the superheroes, but the the thing that I have a question with is that we keep getting this, and this was a Batman v Superman thing too. Is this our heroes too powerful part of the story, which I'm I, I'm not super comfortable with as a viewer because as I was a comic book reader that wasn't the reason why I loved comic books it feels like they're asking the question well how would all of us all of us mortals all of us humans deal with the fact that you know Superman's tearing up the city or that the Avengers are here and and we talk about the awe and the fear that that normal people have and that wasn't as a comic book reader that wasn't what I loved what I loved was seeing these heroes with power and thinking well what would it be like to be them that was the part that I loved about it. So the fact that we're getting into this Our Heroes Too Powerful story, it's also kind of key in the old origin story we had for Spider-Man, which was that original origin story for Spider-Man, you know, use your power responsibly. But it was just kind of a footnote in Spider-Man. And that's where it was meant to be. Now it feels like it's the drama that we're hinging everything on as we push into this next stage with superheroes. And I think as an audience member, I want to feel like, I want to feel like the heroes. I don't want to be thinking about the fear that the world has for them. It, it, that feels like a story that's not very interesting. How do you guys feel about that? To me, it seems like that's uh, kind of the evolution of comic book movies. Like, I feel like people, you know, I mean, there's been so many comic book movies since it really kind of took off. And it felt to me like this was almost like a way to combat that tired feeling that everybody kept talking about with with comic book movies. Yes, we've seen them switching things up as far as trying to give a little spin on the genre, as far as kind of uh, the Winter Soldier being a little bit more of a 70s conspiracy thriller sort of film and Ant-Man being kind of a heist film. We've seen kind of playing with that, but I think this is another way to combat uh, of a, a superhero movie feeling just like another good guy fighting a bad guy movie, which, let's be honest, I mean, that really is kind of what they, they are for the most part. And I think there's a difference, you know, sitting down reading comic books to just going and watching the movies. When you go watch the movies, just that the two hours, it can start feeling very much the same. So to, to me, it felt like a nice change of pace to try something new that that looked at the characters in a different way. And so I, I don't know, I kind of like it. I want to I want to jump in before um, and, and try to say something smart before Steve says the same thing. I <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You, you may try. <laughs> I I think this is a question of uh, adapting the, the the sort of thematic development for the medium as a response to uh, to our culture. This is you know I you I love holding up the mirror right. I love looking at what the film is it appears to me to be saying as a as a reflection of what we are dealing with as a culture. And I think JJ to your point, one of the challenges of adapting to live action comics uh, is that, you know, the the violence is real 
in you know it looks real enough to be real when you're in the story and and reading the old comic books uh, you just don't have that same sense it's easy to put yourself into the into the superheroes because you don't get quite the same connection to the violence that's actually going on if it was real and as soon as you put those stories on the big screen and you put all the beautiful CGI and all the great effects and all the great stunts into these characters you have to at some point take responsibility for those actions right for the action on screen and I think that's what this phase three to me is really all about it's about saying look now we know we have the power to put incredible devastation on screen but we have a cultural uh, uh, audience here that has seen incredible violence for real and we have done an admirable job of mimicking that violence with computers but uh, at no point have we stepped up and, and and had our characters take responsibility for that violence and feel something and I think that's what this movie and BVS Doge are trying to do and I actually have a feeling that this responsibility this further grounding or cementing in reality is going to be a hallmark of the phase three uh, MCU films. I think we're going to see even more of this sort of reflective piece uh, of, of these movies. Steve, how'd I do? You're, yeah, you're getting there. You're getting there. No, I, I think you're, you're touching on some things that I, that I hadn't quite thought of, but I think, yeah, we're, we're coming along the same, same path. So what, what I took away from it and it's it's interesting i'm gonna sort of disagree with jj on this in terms of identifying with the heroes because i think where we are in contemporary society it's easier for us to do that now with in speaking to pete's point about the media things have become much more democratized in terms of i mean the fact that we can do a podcast and broadcast that out we don't need to be a network to do that we can get a message out to the people that power structure has become decentralized and so we can be like superheroes. We have the ability to influence people. And what is the responsibility that you have for that? Is that what I saw happening here is, yes, there's this question of power and, and abuse and, and violence. What's going on? But what I found very interesting was the Sokovia Accords that are presented to them, which are seeking to, to limit, restrict their power, to basically make them a tool of you know, global politics which is exactly what the Winter Soldier was. And I, I was glad to see that it was, I thought, woven through very nicely without really hitting us over the head with it. There are those trigger words for Bucky that turn him into basically this killing machine. The Sokovia Accords, when implemented, basically allow the Avengers to become a killing machine for whichever government the governments choose to use them for. As I think Cap says, you know, what if they send us someplace we don't want to go? Or there's some place we feel that we need to go and we can't. And so it's that restriction of power and the question that comes into, do, do you ha allow everyone to have that freedom to, to make autonomous decisions for themselves? Or are we willing to, in the name of safety and security, give up a lot of those freedoms and powers? I, I, and I hear what you guys are saying. I mean, you're, you're bringing that up as a disagreement for me. So I want to I wanna make sure that I address that. And, and that was, Pete, that was actually your point in in. BVS Doge as well. But I guess for me, what I'm talking about is that we didn't feel like we needed to address that when we were reading comic books. And what they've sacrificed in the case of that is the, the story about the characters themselves. So I'm fine with them going this direction, but we have to realize that we're losing something in that process. That's why I loved Deadpool so much. Right. Because and that's why I think that people resonated with that movie, because they they Deadpool came up and they said, this is the movie that we needed, because 
it was about him. And that was his story. And it wasn't about how it reflected on the audience. But JJ, we'll never see Deadpool again. Like they can't go back and give us that movie again. Now, what do they do next with Deadpool? And how many times have we complained about origin stories? Yeah, because it's like, yes, you get into that character, but we've said, you know, I believe it was with Ant-Man. Okay, we're getting another origin story. How many times can we do this? We've seen origin story, origin story, origin story. That's how you tie into those characters. And we ourselves sort of said, we'd like to see something more. Maybe there is a way to get there. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Black Panther and what they're going to do with this new Spider-Man, because I, I really hope that it's not origin stories. We got some core pieces of that. I, I hope they're able to launch them into some in- individual stories that perhaps will give us that connection that you're speaking to. But I think the other piece is that there is as a cultural force of in a world that is very different from when, you know, the sixties and the, that age of comic books and what the world was like and what those, those stories serve then versus now. And the, the role that the media has particularly film to speak to a global audience and, and convey a message, I think there's a certain responsibility upon the filmmakers to, to take that into consideration, which is, I think, what, what Pete's getting to. And what you also have to remember is that the comic books did do it first. It's not like these are new in, in the world of these, these characters' worlds, you know? I mean, Batman and Superman have been fighting all through their history. I mean, there's plenty of, of Batman v Superman comic books out there. And, I mean, this is based on the Civil War comic book, which came out, was what, 2006. So, I mean, these were written on the page first before they made it to the screen. So, it, I mean, it is in the comic books. So, I have read some of the Civil War because it was, it was multiple issues across different characters. And, but I, what I do recall is that it was similar to the Mutant Registration Act. There was a, a small group of sort of second or third tier superheroes that had gone off and done something that caused some major catastrophe. Similar to what we see with the Scarlet Witch, where there's some innocent people that are killed as the result of the actions of one of these sort of bottom tier superheroes. So they basically say, we need to hold these people accountable. We don't know who they are. We need to know what their true identities are. So Iron Man takes that side of he's already been public with who he is. Everybody knows he's Tony Stark. He's Iron Man. He's got nothing to hide. You've got the Fantastic Four that are also very public with who they are. And then on the other side, you've got, you know, those that have that sort of split of their superhero persona and their their alias. And Peter Parker gets caught in the middle of should he reveal his secret identity? What what dangers does that place for his family? But what is his responsibility to his country to do what's right? So it's 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 root. They they were able to sort of touch on it a little bit, I thought, which was it connected to that enough while taking it in I think a different direction with focusing on really what we saw with Bucky and that core piece of his story and how that served to sort of manipulate Captain America and Iron Man to, to come. Do you, to does anybody remember? And I only I really don't remember this. And my I'm with you, Steve. I read some of the Civil War and and you know hat tip to. Uh, the team, I, I think it would be, have been very difficult to make a movie, the Civil War movie, without Spider-Man in it. So I'm really glad that they managed to negotiate this to get Spider-Man in the film, because it's, I, I think it was, uh, the relationship between Spider-Man and Iron Man in the um, in the comics it was is one of my very favorites, having not finished the entire Civil War story. 
uh, it is still one of my very favorites. And I think they're just under some constraints to get that done. But I think they did a pretty good job of it. The thing I don't know is how tied into the Civil War story is the Winter Soldier. Was the Winter Soldier, was that, is this just a complete kind of amalgamation of these things? Or was the Civil War originally in the books? I don't recall the Winter Soldier being in the Civil War books, but I, because I've, I've recall it really being about Spider-Man really being, t- at least that, that thread of it, because I know it did connect across multiple issues and, and storylines, but I don't, I not well read enough to even say I know that much about even recalling the Winter Soldier in any of the comic books I've read in the past, so just maybe passing. But, did uh, uh, Tony Stark hit on Aunt May in the comic books? Those two were in a film together back in 96, if you recall, called Only You. It was a little romantic comedy. She had some like vision or like I don't know, psychic or something told her like her soulmate was this person with this name. And she finds out later on it's like a friend of her fiance who's played by Robert Downey Jr. So that whole point, I thought, was I don't want to call it stunt casting, but it was just one of those like, oh, that's cute to see them, you know, together sort of. Him hitting on her again twenty years. Do we later. know if she's Tomei is she's, she will will yes. always be cute. Is she do we know if she's in Yeah, she is in Homecoming, right? Spider Man Homecoming. She's That's what I've heard. She's she's the new Aunt May. Uh, okay, so let me just let me just ask though, why is there such discontent in the universe about Marissa Tomei playing Aunt May? Now you've read some of the books you said? Yeah. And 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 does that not make sense to you, the discontent? It does not make sense to me. Aunt May has never had not had, had like white, white hair, hair. Yeah. <laughs> and been an old feeble woman that Spider-Man was always trying to protect from anyone with any sort of level of power greater than a 70-year-old woman. Right. And like it's Marissa Tomei. Like that's awesome. They've made they've made the young Peter Parker, uh, I, I think, more age appropriate as a high schooler than they ever have, which is awesome. And so, why not make her? A, a, why not modernize her a little bit? I, I think that's perfectly okay. It, it, she is supposed to be a grandma, though. I mean, if it, maybe next Natalie Dormer should play her, but I don't. I, no. I would don't. see that movie a thousand <laughs> freaking times. Now you have to remember, you know, age has become sort of fluid over the past couple decades if you if you think back to cocoon wilford brimley was like 52 when he did cocoon and which is exactly as old as marissa tomei is now something like that yeah i mean she was born in 64 so you you look at that and it's like there's you know what it means to be old or you know middle-aged all that has really become fluid and has changed so but I no. thought it went the other way. Are you direction. saying Wilford Brimley's not as sexy as Marissa Tomei? <laughs> I'm <laughs> saying so that. lost in the parallel. <laughs> uh, Wilford Brimley should have been Aunt May. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where we are. <laughs> I don't know how we got here, but I, I'm glad we're talking about Spider-Man because there was a, a definite energy that hit the theater that I was in when he showed up. Oh, and honestly, if you go to script, that's the most appropriate written spider-man in the history of film i think why his dialogue was so perfect for what for the character in the comic books i I, i've missed that and i know that pete you loved andrew garfield and i don't know who in the world loved toby mcguire but the 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 point being is that this character that the character the way the character was written in this film is the way that spider-man it the way that Spider-Man lived in the comic books. And I, and I was so happy with that. I loved 
every scene he was in was special to me. Oh, the the way they really celebrated how he builds computers, like he goes to the dumpster and he's I mean, it just was fantastic. I thought he was just great every everywhere. And and I was really uh, uh, worried about that when I saw the tra- saw the suit in the trailer. Yeah, but the fact that they gave him, uh, they they sort of put him on the spectrum, like a behavioral spectrum, like ADHD, <laughs> severe ADHD, a little bit of Asperger, something like that. Like where, like the reason he wore the goggles was so that he could focus because he couldn't focus. Like he, I I just loved that so much. I felt like that really gets to, you know, how we talk to about people with ADHD. Like it's a it's something to celebrate once you learn that it's your superpower. But you really have to learn that it's your superpower. And I thought that was such a great. thing to give him in the script here. I thought that was just a beautiful gift. Agreed. You know, I, I love Spider-Man too. I mean, he's always been my favorite. And I thought they did a great uh, job with this guy. The only story element that uh, confused me a little bit, and this goes back to kind of the script and the, basically the speed storytelling uh, at which they uh, do here in order to get things across. Um, and it was just like the the, the build-up to Spider-Man. I mean... I, I don't think we necessarily needed to have like a flash of a newspaper at some point of, oh, who's this new hero in town? Anything like that. I, I thought his intro was actually pretty good. Um, but I was a little confused by the 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 way that all of a sudden it happened. And that's that happened a few times throughout the film. Um, I know that, you know, William Hurt gives him, what, 36 hours and then and, and or gives Iron Man 36 hours to basically sort this situation out. And then he and uh, Black Widow have a brief conversation or a line or something about you know something in the basement or something like that oh that thing in the basement and then next thing we know is he's in spider-man's living room and uh it's just like there were some elements like that where i feel like the story could have uh, moved a little more fluidly Uh, again we have another moment where captain america uh, shows up randomly in a house that uh, all of a sudden bucky is in standing behind him and and we've got you know uh the the information coming over the earbud and everything. And I, I just like, I felt like there were a few little key elements that kind of thread that helped, would have helped thread through some of those things. Again, it moved so quickly that I don't think it mattered in the long run. But some of that stuff, I just, I, I felt like it glossed over so quickly. I'm just like, how did Captain America know to go to this particular random place? And why is Bucky here? I mean, things like that, that afterward i i just found myself questioning like why was it how did this come to be how much of that do you feel was uh character stuffing like dealing with the challenges of character stuffing in this script well there's a lot of character stuffing in this film I and mean, you've ton, ton of characters the thing that I, I think we talked about um recently on snatch is how well they these guys the russo brothers i think do a great job of fleshing out a lot of characters uh, like they did in snatch um, and I, I think it's better than it's been in uh, some of the X-Men films. This film, they really do a good job of giving all these characters something to do. But the story itself, the actual plot, as it is as woven through all these different characters, I think that's where some of the, uh, the I don't want to call them problems, but uh, the uh, minor stumbling blocks lie, for me at least. Because I don't, I don't think you can win, right? I mean, I, like to your point about X-Men, like they went a, a different direction in Days of Future Past. They were a ton of characters in there. And the biggest frustration I have, and I, they were just so laissez-faire about the characters that you would see just kind of going, 
you know, hither and yon past the camera, uh, these fantastic characters. And and when I saw them on screen, I was like, I want to know about that guy. Hey, they finally got Iceman to be on his ice sled. Like, I've wanted that for years, and I get it once, and then he gets frozen and dies. Um, so I found myself really frustrated with the way they handled it in Days of Future Past. Here, I thought they did, to your point, they did a pretty good job of giving everybody something to do. The cost of that is they had to move pretty quickly through it. They would have lost the other way if they just limited the number of characters so that they could slow down a little bit and give everybody a little bit more screen time. I just don't know that they could have won either way. Well, I think that's the challenge, right? I mean, and, and you guys had asked before, you know, we're never going to see another Deadpool the way it is. But if they're strategic about the way that they're going through this Marvel Cinematic Universe and they're figuring out which characters are the right ones to go d- deep on, I think they can do that well. And I think you guys had asked me a question before about the, you know, our heroes too powerful story. What what else can we do? And I think the answer is something that Andy brought up earlier where we take a look at Ant-Man and it was a heist film. Or we take a look at Captain America Winter Soldier and we think it's a, 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 a political drama, you know, a geopolitical thing. And, and, we, and we look at these sort of things. There are ways to do other movies without just inflating the cast and bringing in all these characters and stuff and that seems to be a go-to for these for these filmmakers to do this but i think when they brought up ant-man i didn't know why they were bringing up ant-man i didn't know why ant-man was was mattered to the whole mcu but the fact that it was a heist film and the fact that it was something different i think was something that was made it special and i think that would be the direction that i would prefer them to go to to be sort of more strategic and creative in the way that they are continuing through the universe as opposed to just biggering and biggering until we start to lose those elements like you mentioned the Iceman is is a perfect example example of that. It didn't happen so much in this in this movie. In Civil War, it, Spider-Man's a, a good example of that. Even Ant-Man in this movie, we got enough. They had things to do, like Andy said here. But as we keep growing, we're only going to lose more. So I, I'm hoping that they're more specific and strategic and creative in the way that they move forward. Let's talk about the Russos uh, before we dig into the rapid-fire rundown of 1,000 cast members. You know, I think they they have a a nice balance. Uh, With this and with Winter Soldier, I really felt that this was a a well-balanced film of action that that moves along, that that moves the story, and then you've got the ups of that, but then you've got the character pieces that I think are are, are well-paced, so... I'm, I'm happy to see that they're going to be helming Infinity Wars 1 and 2. They really showed here they can they can manage a story that's that's packed with characters and a lot of points. And, you know, as Andy's point out, there maybe are some points where you've really got to pay attention to dialogue. You've got to look at, at story cuts and editing of somebody says something and then we're, you know, all of a sudden caps in a, in a you know, apartment, which I'm assuming is where Bucky lived. But again, it's one of those things where you have to pay attention or, or maybe draw some conclusions. But they, they really kept it moving from beginning to end for two and a half hours. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, and the, the benefit they have with their next round of films they're doing in this series is that at least it's two films. So they're going to have a very large cast to deal with. But at the same time, they're going to be able to spread that story across across two movies. So I think that's going to help them. I, I mean, I really enjoy watching the Russo brothers and what they do, even the little uh, the community uh, nod that we get in here, which I thought was quite a bit of fun since they've uh, done at least one or a few episodes of yeah, that show. I think that was that was there. Aren't they EPs on that are, show? Are, were they? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So it's their show. But it was great seeing kind of little nods to that here. Uh, you know, they have a really solid uh, direction with 
storytelling. They know how to tell a big story, a complicated story with lots of characters. Yes, I do have some issues with with minor bits of their um, story thread and how some of that lays out. That being said, it, it didn't bother me, and I have to give them credit for that. I mean, it, it maybe in a small way, but it's it's it. The rest of the story is done so well, and the action is is really spectacular. Um, I everybody's given uh, you know the amount of time that they need to have me actually care about them all. I just think these guys are uh, really know how to take this package and do something well with it. And obviously, credit for that. Uh, some of that does go to the screenwriters as well. But these are the guys who are directing and responsible for how the whole thing is shaped. So I think the Russo brothers did a tremendous job here. Yeah, I think the choices on perspective from their part was were really special here. I'm I'm currently reviewing all of the uh, the Bourne movies in advance of our uh, Bourne, Jason Bourne July film board episode, and they do something that happens a lot in those movies where they choose to review the action not from any particular character's perspective, but from what seems to be the perfect perspective to see the greatest effect of the action. And a lot of times I think we would think that that might be distracting because we don't really know who we are as an audience member when we see it happening, but they do it so well. And then it's edited so well after that part as well, after their piece as well, that it, it kind of goes together seamlessly. And I was so happy with the action. It was all shot wide in a way that you could see everything that was happening and the creative things that the heroes are doing were all highlighted in a way that I think really enhanced the story. You know what I like so much about it is is when I look back at the uh, characters out of uniform around the table sequence in this film, uh, which I think could have been really, really boring. Uh, you know, when you compare it particularly to the way Joss Whedon handles these kinds of treatments, and they're funny. They're things like, hey, anybody want to try and pick up Thor's hammer? Uh, and, and they have their little roundabout of everybody trying to pick up Thor's hammer, and it's, it becomes that running joke. There is none of that and in this film, and yet we get the same sort of uh, of experience of camaraderie in what amounts to a discussion about a contract, uh, which could be just tremendously boring. And yet I found myself really interested in the way they were transitioning these characters from being comrades to being enemies. It happens over two and a half hours. And Andy, to your point, yes, there's some some sort of speed storytelling. And yet I found that transformation from friend to enemy between Captain America and Iron Man really subtle until we got to the very end. Uh, you know, when Iron Man finally shows up at the at the base at the end to catch up with Winter Soldier and Captain America uh, and says, hey, I'm I'm here because you might have been a little bit right. I thought, how are they possibly going to turn this back around so that we get the great trailer fight? Uh, I honest to God, I had no idea how they were going to do that. Uh, and it, it was a, it ended up being a complete surprise to me that it was Captain America that had offed Tony Stark's parents. Uh, Bucky, you mean? Uh, I mean, yeah, Bucky uh, that had offed Tony Stark's parents. <laughs> spoiler, was... spoiler, Captain America is a serial murderer. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, no, I, I that was a surprise to me. I, I didn't see that coming. And it was really, uh, I think, well handled. And, I, and so I think this this could have been a very difficult thing. Uh, that I think they handled really well. Do you think that was enough to make Tony see red? I did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Oh, I did. I just wondered why he had to get them there to show them like a videotape from 1991. Why did that he was, have to that, get them all the way out there? Yeah, that was a challenge. He could have, that I thought was a, a little bit of a stretch of sort yeah. of, we've got one thing, oh, we're going to flip it around. He's playing this real long con because the when he 
called room service you know after he's long checked out of the hotel i thought to what end why why is he tipping his hand that he's yep. not there and i saw okay it's his play to get them to where he wants them but i still didn't really 100% buy he had to have them in that physical location was there something unique about that facility that was going to contain them maybe that's what it was it just didn't come across clearly to me that's my one little well especially because he was he was not uh he was never under threat right because he was protected he was there specifically to contain himself in a place of of symbolism so that you know he could watch the team fall apart because he knew that that would be enough to drive him to that where he was completely safe and i think that's true i guess for me i don't i don't think what happened there was consistent with the characters and that's the part that i have a problem with i mean i I think it's fair anyone that would uh, that would go with that. Andy, you said it was enough for you to think that he would see red there, but I don't think that's consistent with the Tony Stark character or the way that Robert Downey Jr. plays him. I think his detachment of things is always so, you know, it, it, it was different in this movie than we've seen in others. I mean, he was affected at the beginning of the movie, uh, you know, affected emotionally uh, to care about people in a way that he hasn't before. So um, that was tough for me it, to to think that he was going to lose all control of everything that in that moment he decided he wanted to kill someone because they had killed someone else well now wait a minute jj because the last iron man he was i mean the whole movie was about his grief over his relationship with pepper like he was entirely motivated by his relationship with this with this person who was as important to him as family also we had the you know the his cathartic moment, I, I, you know, the way that he played that uh, scene where he was, you know, playing his memory of his parents leaving that night, and which I, you know, I, I did also like those effects of the youngifying of of Robert Downey Jr. There, <laughs> amazing, but totally the, amazing. Um, I don't know, I, I thought that the way he played that scene early at MIT was great because. It's it was that typical Tony Stark attitude of oh yeah you know daddy issues blah blah, blah or whatever he was saying to the crowd but at the same time I felt that there was a lot more there of him in that scene as he was playing that for the crowd and his reaction to it and yes he reacts to the pepper part too but I felt like a lot of his emotions um, had built from it basically being uh, reliving that scene with his parents. So I felt like there was a real strong connection to his parents, even if he plays it off like there isn't a big thing there. I think that speaks to actually probably the strength of the story, that if you see that those pieces are set up in the right order to be knocked down later, I just didn't find it consistent. And and it, it, it worked for you guys, but it, it didn't for me. Oh, yeah. Everybody's stance was based, I mean, it's sort of, as I watch this play out, it's what are, what are the triggers for them for, for Captain America? It's at... You know Peggy's funeral as her her niece is there t- and you know saying this is what my aunt told me about you have to stand your ground you have to what is it you have to bend when you can and when you can't you have to stand your ground and it sort of firms his resolve of I am going to stand by my guns on this and with with Tony it's you know he talked about he almost lost Pepper and he had he's had to scale things back and then you've got Vision protecting Wanda you've got all these guys that are have either lost someone or in fear of losing someone close to them that really I thought gave us some strong, well-sculpted motivation for why they were standing their ground. Because I thought, what is it that is going to bring these two to to really go at it at that point? 
it, it you have to get to the the heart and core of those characters and i thought they were able to to leverage what had happened in the other movies and what we knew about these characters to get them to that point and and i bought it yeah, I think me. I think you guys are actually changing my mind a little bit about it because it sounds. I mean, honestly, you're reminding me of parts of the movie that they really did try to connect emotionally, and it wasn't all sort of leaning on one thing. So I think you guys are right about that. All right, what do we think? Uh, let's start running through the the cast, shall we? Uh, uh, Captain America, Chris Evans. He's on the record as saying he's kind of tired of playing this part. How do he do for you uh, as Cap? He he is Captain America to me. I mean, he he yeah, sorry, really embodies this character. <laughs> so you know he can't leave. Sorry. Yeah, there's not. I'm looking at his IMDb. There's nothing else in in the future uh, for him. But uh, you're right. He can't leave. He can't leave. No, nope. I wouldn't buy it, I, Steve. Would you nobody think? else could do it. I, you know, I because I've I've heard you know sort of out there you know what you know in the comic books has happened that you know. Bucky, you know, sort of took on the title of Captain America for a while. So I thought, oh, are we possibly going this direction? And then, you know, when you put Bucky in the deep freeze at the end, I thought, nope, nope, we've got Chris Evans for the next couple of pictures, at least, unless they pull off something in Infinity Wars. I, I, I'm, I'm happy with, with what he's done with this character. I think between this and Winter Soldier, it's just, I think it's the character that just, I think he, I connect with the most. He just keeps yeah. on giving. JJ. Yeah, he does. Well, and then, you know, there's the other character as well, which is U.S. Agent, which uh, was someone that was in the books that when Captain America, when Steve Rogers was gone, there was still a Captain America comic book um, uh, with this other character called U.S. Agent that was just a little bit different. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do with it. I, you know, I think I agree that Chris Evans kind of embodies that person for, for me and for, and for the world. I don't think anyone else is going to get to be him. Uh, I can't imagine that. Although we've had what five, three different Spider-Mans at this point, so anything can happen. Arguably, nobody's done it quite. Nobody has done Spider-Man quite as well as Chris Evans has done Captain America. He is, for me, the totally character true. that I have no question about going into a Captain America movie, like I or an Avengers movie. He's the one I know is going to be good, so that I can look at other people. Uh, at, at the other characters and think harder about them because I just trust that he's going to interpret Captain America the way I want to see him. And I think he's he is enough of a sort of generalist hero that it's uh, it, it's really right in his bag of tricks. And really the same for Robert Downey Jr. I mean, it feels like he is, I mean, he's getting Robert Downey Jr. money uh, for these things, but man, he is Tony Stark. Is that more than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang money? It's more than, definitely more than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang money. <laughs> How badly, I got to tell you, Andy, I wanted him to lose a finger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will say uh, real about Chris, Chris Evans real quick before uh, we jump into Robert Downey Jr. I actually, um, I really liked him as Human Torch too. So I don't know if it's just him playing superheroes or what, but I mean, he does a great job because that was a very different character from uh, Captain America, you know, much more cocky and everything. But he did a great job there too, just even if the movies weren't very good. JJ, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Robert, well, no, I was just saying Robert Downey Jr. is is kind of the most the most most perfect cast that I've ever seen for a comic book character in in film history. He uh, he is Tony Stark. He was Tony Stark before before there ever was an Avengers movie. So the fact that they got him and the fact that he connected with it, uh, he is that guy for me. Uh, Pete, you mentioned you know you count on as a, a perfect sort of role so you can take a critical eye to the other folks in the film. He, uh, I, he embodies Iron Man to me. Chris Evans, 
I think he's doing it as 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 Captain America, but I think it, Robert Downey Jr. is really sort of the the key for me in these movies. This goes this goes back to casting Sam Jackson as Nick Fury after the comics had already adapted the character to look like Sam Jackson. Right. I mean, that's did they? Yeah. I mean, that came first. <laughs> Somebody was such a fan of Samuel L. Jackson that suddenly Nick Fury, who was a white guy for decades, was now a black guy that looked just like Samuel L. Jackson. And that's that's, you know, my understanding is that's how he became uh, the character on screen. And, and that is uh, to your point, like. Uh, about Tony Stark, that is that's exactly it for me too. And and you could say really the same thing about uh, about ScarJo as as Romanoff and Black Widow. I you know I've just come to to find her as as really well cast. And so I, I just know I, I wrote in our rundown like hey quick everybody get in line for all those Black Widow toys. Uh, you know I I'm so disappointed that she's not uh, she has not been allowed to become more of a, a broadline hero. Um, you know, in merchandising, because I think she's great. She's a badass, and I'd like to see more of her. She's getting her own movie now, though, right? I have not heard maybe. such a thing. That so that was maybe. the last word that I had heard. I, I have heard maybe a for Widow a long movie. time. I, I had not heard confirmation. I just set, read today that uh, that Feig said it's, it's possible. It wasn't uh, a sure thing. And then I noticed also, this is a, an aside, they pulled Inhumans off the schedule. Oh yeah, that's yeah they yeah like last but, month, right? Right, yeah they 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 pulled that. With, that's that's got to be super frustrating if you're a writer on Agents of Shield. That's well, I think that's what happened. There was a split between the TV and the film. They were under one umbrella, I guess, and now they they're they're split under different. Uh, I don't know whoever's in charge or oversight. There was something that was forcing them to interact with each other and that there's now been a clear barrier, I guess, drawn between the television properties and the film properties. That is enormously frustrating. Like it was so much better when we could have that conversation about crossovers, about Clark Gregg. I want to see him on screen again. Well, I think they can, I think they, there's still the ability to do that, but I think it was creatively forcing some things to have to happen that there was some pushback against. I just want to talk about, you know, Black Widow and over the course of this whole franchise to, to look at her character introduced in Iron Man 2. So within Tony Stark's camp, then coming back over to Captain working alongside, you know, Captain America and Winter Soldier and now sort of ha- her having to choose between the two and that dual agent side. So it was something that I thought was some nice consistency with the character, you know, having to play both sides. Again, I think a severely underutilized character, but again, um, hopefully they find ways to really leverage that character in the property some more. Well, and I guess, you know, considering Spider-Man in the comics, as you said, was the one who had a hard time deciding which side to be on. Yeah. It seems like she's filling that role here because Spider-Man right. isn't given much time in the story here. True. All right, Sebastian Stan. I, I did appreciate because his, you know, there's just never been enough. He's been this sort of shadowy, mysterious figure when he was introduced in Winter Soldier. So it was just really hard to connect with that character. So I thought they did some nice things to bring the, the little comic moments with Falcon, with whether it's in the, the back of the car or when they're fighting Spider-Man together, there were some nice moments that sort of brought some humanity to his character versus before he was just sort of, you know, brainwashed killing machine. So there was starting to get some sense of, of Bucky coming back through that we haven't seen since, you know, Captain America, the first Avengers. So I'm, I'm glad to see that they were doing something more with him 
And there were some nice little moments with him and uh, Steve where they, you know, just have casual remembrances about their lives. I mean, just small little things, but I loved that. It was it was a great little way to kind of, I mean, that's how two old friends would be, you know? Uh, how about Anthony Mackie? I loved all the new Falcon stuff. The the cool toys that he got oh, to Oh, yeah. He definitely had the best so toys. So much more Falcon in this. He's just, just watching him fly around and the way he controls his wings and everything. I mean, he does a great job. The, and the design of the character is just rock solid. The The bit where he has his little robot. Uh, bird. Oh yeah. Where? Where? I go. What is it? Uh, Black Widow says uh, thank you. Says don't thank me. Says, I'm not thanking your robot. <laughs> that was so good. Uh, I just uh, I love him. And and frankly, that's the aside. Um, you know, I I I loved him in Ant Man. I loved introducing him in Ant Man, and I loved the way they were able to pay dividend on that in this movie. The I know a guy line. I think actually worked really well to connect Ant-Man to this storyline. And, and you know, that leads me, frankly, straight to Paul Rudd, who is, uh, I thought he was perfect uh, introduced in this film. He had all of the kind of wry par- Paul Rudd that I loved in Ant-Man and everything else he does. Uh, and that same sort of fanboyism that we got out of Spider-Man's introduction in this film. Uh, and it, it all felt very, very gentle. And we finally got Ant-Man to grow. So, I mean, how can you not love what they did with the Ant-Man character. Perfectly timed. I mean, brought in the comedy right when we needed it. Um, you know, it before before that, it, it felt a little like it was all very serious and very dramatic. And then all of a sudden, it just led us back to the comic book. He, it was, he was great. And it was a great uh, thing that I loved that he grew big in this one um, and small. But I mean, the, the whole big thing, I was so glad that that was something that had not been spoiled in any trailers. Yes. Because uh. I felt like I'd seen so much from the trailers and that's just one of those things that's like when it happened, I was like, oh, that is awesome. We're getting the big Ant-Man um, and they didn't, they have not ruined it yet. So, I mean, I was so thrilled with that. And and how pleasing is it that now, you know, Ant-Man and Wasp can, can feel much more like a... a full-fledged adventure like now we get to see them it doesn't have to be an origin story it can now just see how are they going to you know have a new story Uh, and i'm excited about that don Cheadle, was that trailer betrayal should he have died Speaking, speaking of trailers yes you know i mean i i sort of had set myself to have him die and mourn uh, at the loss of Don Cheadle as War Machine, and now he's not dead, and I'm finding myself a little bit uh, resentful. Well, it's it's a moment like you know the end of uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's <laughs> this is not a movie where we're going to see these characters die, and uh, it just, that to me that when when he shows up later, I'm just like, of course, you know, it's it's a Marvel movie. This isn't DC. We're watching a Marvel movie here. <laughs> yeah, good point. No necks broken. <laughs> Uh, was Jeremy Renner a surprise to anybody? No, but it was great to see him. We're at that size where we can we can bring a character in that's that's well established and just as a utility player for for what we need in the story without having to go through a lot. Just a, a few lines about you know he's you know back from retirement you know uh, all that. I thought it was able to drop him in nicely, and that's what I'm looking forward to moving forward. That now we know all these characters that they can in an, in one story bring another character in without having to sort of hinder the story with slowing down to explain who this person is or why they're they're going to be part of this. That's a good point. That's a nice point of luxury that we've arrived to. Yes. In these films. Uh, and okay, my favorite Chadwick Boseman. Oh my gosh! As yes. the Beaver. What? 
<laughs> yeah, he was great. And, you know, I think to go back on the story, the way that they wrote Black Panther was the way that I would hope that they would write all the characters. And that makes me so excited for his movie. Yes, he was hell-bent on vengeance, but he also was uh, level-headed enough to listen and help out when he was needed. Like that, He was a hero. He was great. I, I loved the Black Panther, loved his costume, loved the tricks. It was awesome. And they made him king, like, super fast. We don't need an origin story now. He just no, gets a movie. Isn't that Your great? Highness. He's just there. And I, what I was really impressed with, that I, I don't know a whole lot about that character, but the scene when Bucky breaks out and they're all without their gear, to see him, see Black Panther going sort of fist to fist with the Winter Soldier without his, you know, vibranium armor and claws and all that. I thought, this guy's tough. This, yeah, yeah. this is a guy you don't mess with. Defender you know, seen, of a kingdom he is. Yes. We, I mean, we've seen, you know, Black Widow, you know, do her gymnastics and all that, but everybody's usually all geared up with all this stuff to protect them. But here he is just willing to go at it. Yes, there's the vengeance behind it. He's willing to die. But to me, that added another dimension to the, to the action scene to see all these heroes without their gear going after this winter soldier proving that he should have been a walk-on in burnt we have paul bettany as the brooding cook vision with some terrible outfit choices <laughs> <laughs> who was he do- what was he doing i actually loved it because it did was it was like showing him trying to figure out what it means to be a human and failing yeah. every time and that's a thing from the comic books he did that is it they did that a lot yeah Trying, oh, really it, it's funny. the whole sort of Star Trek Next Generation, the 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 sort of data conundrum of yeah. like him trying to realize what it's like to be human because all of a sudden, you know, he's now so much more human than he was before before he embodied this body. It's a, it's an interesting role, and I really liked the way that he was used here, and I liked the relationship he had with uh, Scarlet Witch, and I, I liked their fight. That was really uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on there. I just I just but I love the way that he deals with the fights as as they're happening. You know, he doesn't it's not like there's any animosity or any or anger or anything. It's just something that has to be done. And, uh, you know, I don't know anything at all about the, the comic book character, but I really like the way that he is being portrayed in these films. Elizabeth Olsen, speaking of uh, the fight, uh, I love uh, how she slams him down into the center of the earth. She's awfully powerful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was kind of an interesting point on hers and the vision. Like, I, I found myself thinking multiple times, uh, why don't they just take care of it? Like, just wipe everybody else off <laughs> and just be done with it because they have they they're demonstrating that they probably could. Well, she can she can plow him into the earth. She could easily have done that with six people and just plow them all into right, the earth, right? <laughs> but she doesn't have all the control. And of her powers. I think that's the thing with both of them is they do have all this power. Vision, we see, he he can become distracted uh, with it because of his relationship with her. And she, at the beginning, you know, when she, you know, sort of contains that explosion, which then sort of leaks out and takes out a chunk of the building, we can see she's she's able to do some really cool things, but I still get the sense she's sort of young in the development of her powers and there's, there's more to come, but I see that as the way to sort of mitigate that character. She's got to have some, some weaknesses, some flaws so that she can't just be that, Oh, we need to bring Scarlet Witch in cause she can fix anything or take care of any problem. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to end up with the Superman syndrome. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I like what they're, what, they've done with that character who made the point here that paul rudd uh appearance as ant-man uh demonstrated the use of zero ants 
that was me. <laughs> I actually think that was a really good point. I mean, we see the sizes, but I was like, well, he's never riding an ant or anything. But. <laughs> uh, who else stood out to you as we go through the, the rest of the Anybody else you feel like we should talk about uh, specifically? Martin Freeman was a surprise. I guess I'd heard he'd been cast in this, but I it was one of those, is there... One of those casts, is this what Tommy would call sort of the stunt casting, or is there more to this character moving forward as sort of director of whatever organization he's part of? It was kind of a nice tease at the end, you know, when he actually is sitting down to interview Zemo, right? I mean, we get a sense that he is kind of a fixture. According to uh, Wikipedia, the source of all correct information, he is the um, he is a character associated with the Black Panther in the comics. So we might see more of him in the Black oh, Panther. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. I just see. I was just thinking they cast Cumberbatch and Doctor Strange, so they needed to have a Sherlock Watson, you know, little moment going on in the Marvel universe. Oh, that's interesting. A good, that's funny. I was just hoping it was Morgan Freeman. <laughs> uh, William Hurt is back as Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, I was really glad to see him. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised, really, that uh, that he was back as Ross because, I, I don't know, for some reason I felt like as much as possible, Marvel has tried to pretend that the two Hulk movies didn't happen, um, which is, I, I don't know, I, I don't mind either of them. I think they're both enjoyable enough, but... Maybe it's just that uh, neither of the Hulks actually returned. But it was great seeing him come back as Ross. So I, I enjoyed his little bit here, even though, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's not a huge part, but it's, it's a critical one. I still enjoyed him in it. Secretary of State now. I mean, I like that somehow in the background, these people have career paths. Right. <laughs> you know, like he was a general and now he's Secretary of State. Like he's been promoted. You know, I I, in, I, I think it's fun. I thought it was fun to see him. Still sporting that terrible mustache. It's not as terrible as uh, Sam Elliott's was in Hulk. True. All right, anybody else? Uh, somebody brought up Alfre Woodard. Interesting to see her in the hallway when she is playing the same character in every single episode of Luke Cage, uh, the Marvel series yet to be launched. Oh. Uh, and huh. she's in every episode, all 13 episodes of season one of Luke Cage, which is coming. I'm and not it's sure the if that's same character. Same huh? character, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means, but I think it was a nice uh, Easter egg for this film. Definitely. And I, you know, I, I want to say uh, Emily Van Camp, I mean, her bit was relatively small in this and really all the films. But I will say it was nice to just kind of feel like there was a little bit of a loop kind of closing as far as the romance with uh, her and and uh, Cap. Because this is a Captain America movie. And yeah. so, you know, even though it feels like an Avengers movie, the fact that it is a Captain America movie we do actually have that thread that has started several films ago kind of having a nice little closure here. So I was glad to see it, even if it was a relatively small part. And I also like the nod to Agent Carter in all of these movies because I, I think that's a great show and I'm really enjoying it. Cinematography is uh, Trent Opalock. He actually came back uh, to uh, from The Winter Soldier to uh, run camera on this film. I thought he was great. Uh, I th- Like I said before, I felt like The Winter Soldier never ended for me, that this could have been just one giant movie. I liked Winter Soldier. I loved the way they used the camera and shot the action. This film was just more great for me. All the right choices. And even if it, some of it felt jiggly monkey, it never felt confusing or um, or muddled or anything i mean just it all worked in context of the story they were telling the the jiggliest monkeys uh were in the uh, was that sort of the opening chase generally around scarlett johansson i i kept getting the feeling that they were 
that they were trying to hide that she was doing less of her own stunt work than usual uh, because it felt like they were really jiggling around to to obscure her fight scenes. That could be the huh. case. Well, that was the only time that I noticed the jiggly monkey. So, and and me too. Like that's the that's the only part I remember at least. Okay, costumes. I posted a link in the show notes. Evolution of Avengers costumes through the years. We don't need to see it, but I am gonna talk about it if we don't have any points on the costume specifically. But oh my gosh, uh, I uh, loved this slideshow because man. The costumes used to be just terrible. You know, speaking of costumes, I will say, I don't know why it bugged me, but it did. The fact that uh, Scarlet Witch is not in any costume. She's just running around like she's going to go to like a, a grunge show or something. Well, she's got and her fancy red coat. Is that not not a uniform? She's just, uh, you know, I mean, she doesn't have to wear a uniform, but everybody has one. And I don't know why it bugged me that she doesn't have anything really. Okay. Can we talk about uh, special effects? Yeah. Because I felt like CG Downey was the best dupe in this movie. I was wondering if they actually like had pulled him out of footage from a film when he was younger. Because I'm like, is this from some other film that they've been able to like touch it up? To because it just looked so good. I thought, or is this his son? Who is this? Because this this yeah. couldn't be CG. This it looks too good. It was it amazing. Was awesome. It was awesome. It, you, I mean, you could tell it was CG for me just, I think, because I know he doesn't look like that. Well, yes. Right? But, and, but I, could, yeah. I kept finding he my brain... He did zero. Yeah, he did. Uh, and so I kept thinking, like, I know I'm being tricked here, but yeah. then to have uh, Tony Stark come out of the back side of that stage and say, yeah, you know, it doesn't look that great. I'm still a work in progress, I thought was a fantastic... Uh, bait and switch because it would have been something to if it was a flashback and they were trying to legitimately make this a flashback about Tony Stark as a youth I, I think people would not have had it I think there would have been a lot of consternation and gnashing of teeth but to, they've to been pull doing, the rug they've been doing a great job with it though I mean they did yeah. a great job I thought they did a great job with Michael Douglas and Ant-Man too yeah that's a good point he, he had some some of that work done too at the very beginning, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they have been doing a great job. And the 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 suits, frankly, like when you look at the green screen work they're doing on the suits, I mean, the suits are not, they're not wearing suits anymore. Uh, I, I think I'm, I, I'm not sure where the, uh, I should try to find it before I actually speak out loud, but I don't think Iron Man wore a suit, uh, 100% of his suit at any point in this film. Well, and huh. the Spider-Man CGI stuff in this was awesome. I mean, it was it it it's some of the best stuff that I've seen because I it you never felt like it was taking you out of it. It was just enough and just it moved quickly enough. If that's a thing, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know how you. But your eye didn't get stuck on the fact that it was not real, and I loved that. Andy, tell us about Henry Jackman and the score. You know, he came back after Winter Soldier, and I think he he did a fantastic job here of evolving like the Winter Score. Uh, or the winter, the winter soldier themes, and, uh, and building to kind of include all of these heroes that we have in this. And I mean, I really thought the the score here was just really rock solid. I loved it, and um, I, you know, I I always have a problem. I, I shouldn't say always, but generally have a problem with the um, the music in the in the Marvel films. I, I just don't feel like the themes are as strong as they should be for superheroes. And maybe it's just because I pine for the days of John Williams and Superman. But um, I, I feel like they have been getting better. And I, I think that uh, Jackman here does a very solid job with this score. 
I don't know if this was part of the score, but did you notice that there's new theme music that goes with the Marvel, uh, the comic book flipping at the beginning? That started in, uh, gosh, I, I can't remember which movie. A few movies ago. Is it the um, same theme from that couple of movies ago? It was really noticeably different to me in this film, and I hadn't noticed it before. So it felt special this time. No, I agree. And it wasn't the same uh, Marvel music. I, I think Brian Tyler composed it a few uh, movies back. But um, this one, it felt like it was actually part of this score. It didn't feel like it was new just f- just for like that chunk. It felt like the score kind of started early and it just kind of built into the movie. Yep. Uh, but I don't know. It was great, though. Uh, it's opening to a uh, strong weekend, but not Force Awakens dollars. Not even BVS Doge numbers, I've heard. The BVS Doge thing of comparison is really interesting, too, because it that really like set records. Yeah. In spite of your best efforts, JJ. I tried. <laughs> Disney is saying it's, it's estimating it's going to be the eighth biggest single day. Well, Friday was the eighth biggest single day of all time with 75.25 million that it made. But they had really big expectations for this, and they're already considering a disappointment because it's not living living up to the hype that it had. So, I mean, that being said, it's still going to be making a lot of money. But they had predicted, I think, 170 to 180 million opening weekend. How were your theaters? Mine was pretty empty. Oh, mine was jammed. I oh, had wow. so many people. There were lines. They had shows every half hour, and um, they all had lines. Oh, that's awesome! I was a, I was at a late show, a late 3D show, and I it was maybe 15 people. Oh, on, how, thurs, on Thursday night. How was the 3D? I, you know, it, uh, I, I did, it didn't bother me. I'll okay. say that. And it usually does. That's it didn't news. feel dark. It didn't feel dark, which is usually my biggest complaint about 3D movies. So uh, that none of that bothered me. I, it didn't feel like it was enhanced, though. I never really caught a part that I was like, I'm glad that's in 3D. They were expecting it to earn 200 million uh, for opening weekend. And so, you know, if it's coming in 170, 180 million, it still is doing really well, but you know, it is a little shy of what they were wanting it to be. So we'll see where it lands. Is, is that now it opened on Wednesday night, uh, right. you know, wide here in this country. Did they include, were they opening it across the world as well? Didn't Steven smart say that he had already seen yeah, it? He'd already yes. seen yeah. It. Yeah. So that was one of the things about BVS Doge as well, is that um, they had opened that in many other countries as well. So the numbers, part of the reason why it had such a big run at the front front weekend is because it was wide globally and everyone was going to see it. It'll be interesting to see if those numbers uh, can stack up with this one. Yeah, but that's, in, that's interesting because the U.S. is part of the last uh, opening, or, or at least it looks like one of the very last opens uh, around the world. Everything else started opening the 12th of April. It actually opened the 12th of April in LA for the premiere, but then April 18th, France, uh, and then throughout late April and early May, uh, everywhere but here. Weird. Yeah. And so starting with Bangladesh, Canada, China, India, those were all the, this was opening weekend for us and a handful of other countries. Did we didn't talk about the the Spider Man clip at the end? Andy, you said you liked it. Um, what what is the thing that he projects on the ceiling? That was the I don't know. The, oh no, you guys! <laughs> what? Seriously, what is it? That was the the Spider Man. Wasn't that the Spider Man head? The spider right, the but, spider light that like he in the comics like when the spider light shines, there's about to be a butt kicking. Like that's the <laughs> alert that's that the spider light that that Spider Man's there. All right, there was a that's a thing. That's a thing. No, I know. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm agreeing that that's a thing. I just 
it looked like it was a some sort of holographic uh, interface that he was navigating. Yeah, yeah, it kind of did. But <laughs> one way or the other, it looked like something that was connected to. He's now connected to Tony Stark, right? I mean, that was that sure. was the idea that there's yeah. yeah probably now a police scanner in there too, or something. You know, I was just into the fact that they were saying Spider Man, Spider Man will return, which is something that I didn't. I felt like that kind of ignored the fact that we've had so many other Spider-Man movies. And it, it, what did you say the next one's called? Generations? Homecoming. No, homecoming. 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 I don't get the point. What is the What is the point? Why is Spider-Man next coming from this universe? Does anyone have any ideas? Well, he's not, he's not next, next in this universe. They're just saying he will return because uh, people are so excited that he made his jump from Sony to these guys, I think. And that, I mean, he got a huge rise in my audience everybody's Huge. like yeah yeah well, well I, he is he's my favorite comic book character so i'm really well, excited I, to see him I, back i think that i mean you know, as you said this is you know they're giving you the spider-man that you you know enjoy in the comic books and that you're going to see him and you're going to see him again in this marvel universe and you're going to see this version of spider-man that's that's so true to the spider-man everybody grew up with and loves and is just the core of who that you know awkward teenager is and they've really captured that so well. They just want to, I think they're just trying to tell people, we've got it this time and we're not letting it go. Right. Daddy's home. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> no more Andrew Garfield's, no more weird dance sequences involving Tobey Maguire. Like, yeah, <laughs> the right but people I mean, have control now. But the question is, what, I mean, as I was leaving, I was talking with somebody that I went with and he's like, okay, so. What what are they going to do with Spider Man? They've already ta- I mean they've tackled so many of like the key Spider Man villains. What do they do with him? That's a I, I don't know enough about you know the larger Spider Man universe, but they had tried to get into the Sinister Six and that sort of imploded. They've touched on you know Goblin Green Goblin and Doctor Octopus. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see what route they're going to take with this because I I hope we don't get a re uh, an origin story because we've. We've seen that, done that. So I'm sort of interested in the middle of you know what what they do with Homecoming. That's the best part. What I'm thrilled with is I'm assu- I'm hoping that the fact that he is already radioactive Magoo in this movie that we don't have to see, you know, like what I complained about for Batman and Superman, the uh, seeing. Uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's parents get killed for the 19th time and pearls all over the ground that maybe we can just start with him already infected and just, I mean, that would be thrilling. That'd be so much fun. Yeah. I don't think we have to have an origin story. Just like, I, I think that this was such a perfect setup. This became the origin story for both Spider-Man and Black Panther. And now we, let's just move on. I'm having an audio issue. I think I think I'm getting Tommy's recording from the Superman episode we recorded two months ago. Where, <laughs> is that coming in for everybody else too? Where did that come from? You know what I like that so about this so much is because uh, it really appears that Tommy totally didn't care about this movie for the last hour. Like he has had nothing to say for an hour, and we're going to ignore well, the fact that his power went out. And that he's been gone and just pretend like he is that disinterested that only now does he have any stupid thing to to add. If there's one thing that people know about me, I'm an amazing listener. (laughs) 
yeah, and you know, and if if nobody else has, else has anything else to say, then we should probably start with final thoughts. Like Tommy, what are your final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts: this these movies are not for me, and this movie really was. You know, I listened to what everyone said, and I've really thought it over. So I apo- <laughs> so I apologize if I'm repeating some things, uh, but. Uh, for me, the Captain American movies, Captain America movies over all the other Marvel movies, they're the best for me because they involve human issues. They don't involve uh, weird um, portals and worlds into other dimensions. They don't involve nonsense MacGuffins like Tesseracts, things like that. They really involve people on the ground doing things Um you know, Winter Soldier involved privacy, government oversight, and this one had a lot of the same thing. And so for me, it was just thrilling. And they did a Whedon-esque job of wrangling this entire huge cast and giving everyone fun moments, smart moments, funny moments. I was just blown away. I thought parts of this movie, and especially the air, the fight at the airport, was a masterclass in how to handle huge action scenes. Uh, one way to do it is Zack Snyder and make everything a slog and make everything so filled with portent and importance that you're just sort of like wishing it would be over. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Or this, where is a bunch of friends fighting each other, but they managed to keep the idea of fun and little check-ins with character throughout. I was just amazed. I thought it was really great. How about you, Steve? I was going to say, I think Tommy summarized our whole podcast. A bunch of people that can be friends, but can 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 fight over things, and it can be fun and entertaining. Everybody can have a good time. That's what I felt about this film. That's what I enjoy talking with you guys. There, there were you know those great moments of like Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye fighting each other. And it's like, well, we're still friends, right? And that they <laughs> it was sort of lightened the tone, so we didn't have the you know dark oppression but i think it's a film that will appeal to everybody because you do have that the fun action it does have the the really good story as, as tommy pointed out about you know government oversight is you know, those things i discussed earlier so to me this is one of those really well-balanced films that i think everyone's going to enjoy justin i will say you are correct this film will probably hold up better than the bvs doge film Uh, we'll see but i think that it does have important things to say here tied into this marvel universe so it's something that i i hope people go out and see this weekend i hope the word of mouth spreads because my my theater was fairly full but uh you know somebody i went with said that movie was a lot better than i thought it was going to be and i thought why why wouldn't you think this was going to be good (laughs) why were you judging this at all i mean marvel is sort of like pixar it's like you know you're going to get even the ones that are a bit clunky you know you can still be entertained by it. You're not going to regret walking into the theater. You're not going to be angry walking out of the theater. This is something that you can you can watch over and over again, and it gives you a lot to think about and a lot to enjoy. That's awesome. Uh, Andy, what else? I mean, everybody's pretty much said it. It's a, it's a really enjoyable film. Um, I, I certainly look forward to watching it again. And just to kind of just get a sense if the story really, if I, if I connect more and more with the story or kind of how it's going to end up playing out for me, um, because I didn't love it, and I really wanted to love it. But, I mean, I enjoyed it enough. I thought everybody did a really rock-solid job. I mean, really, really rock-solid job. I mean, the, the actors were spot-on. The direction was spot-on. The script was spot-on. Just for some reason, there were elements with the speed storytelling that they did here that just left me kind of uh, you know, enjoying the the ride. But then I got off, and it's, it's kind of like a great roller coaster. I'm like, wow, that was great. And then you know, I kind of 
it, it fades fast for me. Um, but I still, I still did enjoy it. So, I mean, I guess that's where it left me. And it certainly puts things in a place where I'm going to have pretty big expectations for the Marvel films to come. Pete, I, I don't know if it, do you want to give your last thoughts? Do you want to hear mine? What what, no, what do you think we a, should do? That's all right. You just <laughs> do ra- them both you at the same time. Railroad your opinions right on down everybody. Well, I just throat. think we need rules. I mean, this is important. This <laughs> is a podcast. We've talked about tonight that podcasts can affect the world. <laughs> this is a microcosm for what's happening in the world as we make these words known to the greater internet universe. We have to be careful about what we're doing with this power. Is this a TNR Civil War? The film board, <laughs> Civil War. Pick a side, pick a side. Justin, I want to thank you for bringing some structure to this because, you know, Pete did make us talk about all those characters and I think it really slowed us down. So I want to thank you for getting us back on track and, and getting this thing wrapped up. Hey, look, everybody has a right to an opinion and a right to share that opinion in any way they see fit. If somebody happens to like BVS Doge, they're not going to let you guys ramrod your opinion down their throats and say that it's supposed to be bad. Well, I have a 75-page document here that's the BVS Doge Accords, (laughs) and you need to know that the country has voted. And though a lot of things happened and we saved a lot of lives with the apologies we made for that movie, we ended up ruining a lot of people's experience by going to that as well. So I need you guys to know that the voice that you give to movies here is really important in the way that it's heard in the audience. And so Pete, can you talk about Civil War in that way? Can you do that? I can tell you that I enjoyed the film. What I heard from Andy was the uh, direction was five stars. The, the the stunts were five stars. The effects were five star. Everything was five star. I'm giving it a two. <laughs> like everything was so, per- all the elements were five stars, but I'm going to give it two stars. I think I give it a little bit more heart than that. I like it a lot. I do like it more than BVS Doge, but I also liked BVS Doge. And because you guys are such buzzkills on BVS Doge, I like it even more now. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to go pre-order it twice uh, on uh, <laughs> on iTunes. Going to get the PG-13 and the R version. Weird way to live your life. Well, it's good because you'll be the only one. But, uh, I'm going to watch um, it alone. JJ, as, no, as, if, we, as if you haven't uh, made your opinion abundantly clear, why don't you go ahead and share your last word? Well, no, I think you guys Feisty. have actually done a lot to, to sort of help me, uh, to actually change my mind a bit about this movie and, and bring it back up somewhat in terms of the story because you reminded me about a lot of things that didn't hit for me when I watched it but actually if I consider them objectively actually are good story elements so my my first thoughts about Civil War was that the story was weak and the action was great and I still think the action is awesome the one point that I was kind of trying to get into is the idea of that are superheroes too powerful and and really talking about the audience's potential uh, feelings about superheroes and how I'm kind of tired of that theme, I would kind of draw our attention to the, the comic book movies that I really enjoy or the, the adaptations that I really enjoy are things like Guardians of the Galaxy or even the Thor lines. And I know you guys don't like the Thor lines that much, but those kind of resonate more with me as a comic book fan and as a Marvel watcher because I feel like those are about their universes. And that's what I like about the comic book movies. I think I'm I'm a little bit tired about uh, of questioning what the human relationship to heroes is. And I hope that where we go with this, especially going to Infinity Wars, that we're going more the route of this is what the Marvel universe is about. This is what each of these characters' universe is about. And that's what I was talking about when I talk about being more strategic and creative in the way that they approach their story. So you guys definitely brought my 
my like to this film up a level through this conversation. Um, but in general, I'm hoping for more as they continue in the MCU. Well, didn't you just get the last word? That's kind of the idea. So how about we rank it? It's a civil war, just like Ken Burns. They're punching stock, they're taking turns. Oh, God almighty, it's a brawl. Hey, there's Spidey. Let's rank it on the flick chart. Now, look, I know I'm in a slump. <laughs> <laughs> and I get that. I've had a lot going on. But I thought of civil war, and I thought of a country song. Let's do this. <laughs> Head over to flickchart.com, everybody, slash TNR film board that's our very special film board only account where the gang of thugs has matched all of the gang of thugs reviewed movies uh, on our very special flick chart account so sign into your special flick chart account and uh, and we're gonna go ahead and get a start and see where we start captain america civil war versus all right first up against the hobbit an unexpected journey civil war oh civil war civil war Civil War. Uh, yes, of course, Civil War. Next up, Captain America Civil War or World War Z. <gasps> oh, Ooh, that's, really that's fun. Hard. Huh. I'm going to say World War Z. I am too. Wow. Steve, come on. Oh, man. I'm, I'm stuck with you because World War Z had, I mean, oh, well, I know Pete's thinking uh, it's got zombies. And so that's already a plus. But these are both. Oh my gosh, I because uh, I've got the recency of of this that I'm trying to push down and, and re- recall. I can't. I can't choose. This is a this is a flick chart hate crime. It is a flick chart hate crime. Uh, <laughs> I did not see this coming. Tommy, what about you? Yeah, I I think just because I'm so not a superhero guy and I like this so much, I'm actually going to go with Civil War. Oh, oh nuts. okay. That See? makes it worse. Wow. I, think, yeah. no, I, and I on thought purpose, he was just I'm trying to make it put worse. Us in the ground you were and, hoping for yeah. a way out. Yes. yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, I'll change it. I'll say side effects. No. <laughs> <laughs> for the win. I uh, you know what? Oh. I I'm I'm going to say civil war. <gasps> 2 for 2. It's all on you, Steve. Steve. Your shoulders carry the weight here. Oh my gosh. Putting it all on you. The history of cinema, Steve. Remember, wow. podcasts change the world. Well, I know. And I also know we never unrank anything when we make a mistake either. Oh, so now <laughs> that's that steel trap memory from Steve Sarmento. And <laughs> yeah, that was just two months ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sarmento, I... Sarmento, 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 Sarmento. Do you guys hear that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think we're getting some feedback. Uh, world War Z. World War Z. World War Z. I'm fine with that. I'm fine. I am All right. too. My conscience is clear. <laughs> All right, next up, Captain America Civil War or Captain America the Winter Soldier. Wow. Oh, that's fun. Ooh. A Civil War for me. Yeah, I'll say Civil War. Civil War for me. Too. Oh, yeah, Civil War. Really? Yes, Pete. You know what I will say. It's not super, it's not super <laughs> easy for me. Exposition it's, bunker. There's no exposition bunker. I had, there's a smaller, the there's smaller, the smaller issue, bunker. There's a smaller <laughs> issue of that of the bunker in this film, but it's not ten exposition. minutes of exposition. It's yeah. Oh, they, contract. They, they handled exposition all really well in yes. Civil War. All right, all right. I'll give you Civil War. All right, next up, Captain America: Civil War. This is great. Or Ant Man. Oh, I'm going to say Ant Man. I'm going to say Ant Man too. 
No, it's the time I'm definitely. I'm definitely Civil I'm abs- War on this. I'm. I'm also. I'm abstaining. <laughs> I'm Civil War on this one because I I I enjoyed Ant Man, but this has the fun action of Ant Man with the more serious story, our intrigue, and you know that whole plot. So then, in, in instead of rock paper scissors with this, I think we should say Civil War because the simple fact that Tommy couldn't get through the first. Yeah, I think that I was going to say the same thing. That I should speak that volumes, works. right? Yeah, I can't do it, well, Ants. I was so nervous about this. When he showed up, I was like, great. Oh, no. But then there were no ants, and he was delightful. But I was terrified that all of a sudden he'd be like, and I brought some friends. And I'm like, oops, see you guys later. Uber. I don't know why I'm Ubering, but yeah. All right, so are we are we saying Civil War? Is that what just happened? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Captain America Civil War or Spectre? Oh. Civil War. I would say Civil War. Civil War. Civil War. Civil War for me, too. Look at that. And then we're back to World War Z. So World War Z took it. That leaves us at number 13 out of 46. Wow. That's that's pretty good. Is that our highest uh, Marvel? Uh, No, Guardians of the Galaxy is number five. Oh. Oh. It's way up there. That's interesting. I would rank this higher than Guardians of the Galaxy, but that's just for me. And then Civil War, and then Ant-Man, then Winter Soldier, then Avengers Age of Ultron, then BVS Doge. (laughs) (laughs) At number 20. So yeah, in our top 20, we've got quite a number of superhero films in there. How about your letterbox rankings for this? I'm a four star on this one. Wow, four. I'm I'm a three. I'll go four. Uh, My name is Tommy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Your your, your voice counts. Uh, My name is Tommy. I'm a four. Ah! (laughs) I can't win. Uh, <laughs> four, please. <laughs> I'm also a four. Well, that was a rough ranking, but it leaves us at a 3.8. So, yeah. It's pretty good. You know, it's not a two for me, Pete. I still enjoyed it. I just, I didn't love it. It's a four star. It's a good film. I just, I wanted to really love it. Well, okay. Pete and Andy, for the, for the, for the, TNR show, the main show. Where are we going from here? Well, we're kicking off our Fritz Lang series with uh, <gasps> Metropolis, his oh, sci-fi. Fritz Lang. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, some would say masterpiece. So we we will see what we say <laughs> when we talk about it this coming week. Some might say you're not leading that one on at all, are you? <laughs> I I'm not going to say whether we do or not. I'm just saying some people call it a masterpiece. Some people have problems with it. All right. And our uh, we'll we'll keep it a secret. Well, we think. <laughs> some people want to love it, but still only give it two three stars. That's all. <laughs> some people absolutely love every single element at a five star level, and so it is a one star. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an Amazon ranking. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but after that, I'm very excited about what's coming up after that because it's a it's another new short. We've got the mind bender episode coming up uh, uh, next week's short. So uh, do you guys uh, want to tell us, uh, Tommy, JJ, what do we have to look forward to in the Mindbender? Well, that's right. We recorded it about films where your frame of reference might be skewed and you might not necessarily know uh, what's real and what's not. And kind of the reason why I wanted to talk about that as as a topic for a short is, you know, you think about the origins of the podcast that we're doing today and it comes from movies we like. And the mind bender is an idea, is a story, a, a way to tell a story that I just really like in films. Most of my favorite films are, are part of that, where I'm questioning what's reality and not. So Tommy and I, uh, recorded a short about it to talk about our favorite Mindbender movies and what we like about them. Or did we? 
Uh, well, we'll find out. It's in next week's short. It might be Tommy. It might right not here. be Tommy. Or will you? It might just be a half hour of just M- dark MP3. Exactly. You'll never know. Nothing. Yeah. Or, or giggly monkeys the it whole time. Be. Yeah. It could be. I and, look forward to that. And so part of the reason why we've been uh, dickering on who's saying the next thing as we move forward through this is because uh, in next month for the film board, we're going to be talking about uh, Now You See Me Too, which uh, uh, it also is going to signal a time for uh, me, JJ, to start taking over as host of the film board episodes. Right, Pete? I don't want to talk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, So it's interesting that I'm doing it then because uh, I convinced all these guys, all you wonderful guys to go and see Now You See Me Too after listening to their their film board episode about uh, the initial Now You See Me and how much they disliked it. And I really liked it. So I'm really excited to kind of lead you guys uh, to the film board with this movie. Um, that I think we might have some interesting and meaty things to talk about. So that's where we're going next month, the June film board episode about Now You See Me Too. And I will not be on that. I will not be on that one. But I wish you guys the best of luck. And JJ, I kind of liked uh, Now You See Me also. Where are you going, my ally? Actually, yes, I will be gone next month uh, because I will be making my feature film directing debut, which Woo-hoo. is ridiculous. Uh, but it's a small, very small uh, independent comedy that I am directing. And actually, if you want to know more about it or if you'd like to uh, donate to our project, uh, you can look on Indiegogo and look for the project 30 Nights, 30-N-I-G-H-T-S. Uh, and you'll be able to see me looking like an idiot uh, on the internet for the video with my two co-writers and stars and i'm very excited about it so thank you guys very very much and i appreciate it that's awesome and thank you guys all for showing up tonight and uh i had a lot of fun talking about this and we didn't have to listen to tommy for an hour because his power was out is that right that was correct yes (laughs) (laughs) or was it or was it we'll never know mind bender maybe he didn't want to listen to us so anyway, yeah. so uh, so signing off for tonight. Thank you guys for showing up, uh, Steve. Nice to see a little little change here, but I, I do want to say it's been uh, a good four years uh, doing the film board uh, to see everything grow, and I see this is sort of the the next uh, iteration of, of things growing. So I I like the w- the way we're able to to grow and all have a voice in this, and so I want to thank Pete and Andy for everything that they do and that. We're now able to, to share those responsibilities with you. It's just a, a great way that we've been growing. And uh, I hope all our listeners are having such a, a great time as, as we do every night getting together to record these things. How about you, Andy? How do you feel about it? I think it's great. <laughs> and Tommy? Uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Say goodnight, Pete. <laughs> I don't want to talk anymore. Good night, everybody. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. 
And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 